We're doing something different, everybody. Today, our guest is Neil Rich, lead pastor of Cedar Valley Church here in the Twin Cities. Today, we talk about getting through a Minnesota winter, what sealed the deal on his first date with his wife, and we finish with his story of overcoming a messy and very painful past. Hey, welcome everybody to the Cedar Valley Podcast. My name is Amos J. Olivares, and I'm the community engagement and teaching pastor here at Cedar Valley. And I'm your host. Listen, whether you call Cedar Valley your home church or not, whether you even go to church, I'm glad you are listening. This is episode number one. That's right. Our first conversational podcast where we will be leaning into the messy the messy parts of everyday life. Let's face it, our world is messy. Your life is messy and nobody wants to admit it. My life is messy. Your sibling's life is messy. Your kid's life is messy. Your dog's life is messy. Messy, messy, messy. And uh, honestly, that's the life of majority of folks and we wanna talk about it and we are going to talk about it. Each episode, we will bring in a guest from within our church or within our community and lean into the messy of their life, the messy of this world, and even the messy of the church, capital C, church. So here's what you can expect. It'll always be honest. We won't shy away from controversial topics. We will actually lean into them, and it will be fun, and it'll always point to Jesus. And so today, without further ado, I'm here with Neil Rich, lead pastor of Cedar Valley Church here in Bloomington for the past six years. Pastor Neil, so nice to have you with us this morning. It's actually an honor for the first episode. I'm on for the first episode. First episode. So thank you. Heck, heck yeah. Hey, so, uh, you know, Minnesota in March, everybody seems to be a little bit happy. Do you have any reason to believe uh, why people are so happy? At our house, it's two things for us. So first, because I always say February is the month where I really work to survive. And if I can see the first of March, then I know I've made it through another winter. So for me, it's it's the weather, no question. But the other factor that goes with that for me is when the days, you just notice the days start to get longer. We always say at our house, man, can you believe it? It's 3.30. And there's still a little bit of light, you know, <laughs> and it's, it, hey, it's five o'clock and it's almost a little bit light still. And, yeah. and of course, now we set the clocks uh, ahead again. So yeah, it's the, it's the weather the and it's the light. People are smiling Love in it. Minnesota. Love it. Hey, just just want to know, March Madness, who'd you have uh, for your bracket? I'm done. You're done. You're out. You got busted out round one. Pretty much. I had Kentucky in the final four. Oh man. <laughs> Kentucky got taken out round one. St. Peter's, right? Yeah. Wow. How about the T-Wolves? you excited about T-Wolves basketball I fact, right now? I was now? watching them last night. They, they had a close game at Dallas, lost by two at Dallas, and then had a good game until the fourth quarter with Phoenix. Yeah, I know so, we're yeah. not here to talk sports, but I just want to say great. Shaquille O'Neal put a tweet out, had a picture of the Tim, Timberwolves starting five, and he wrote, it's going to be hard for anybody to beat these guys in seven Love games. That. I thought, wow, great. we're even in the mouths of, uh, of the celebrities out right. there. Pretty cool. Well, all right, let's get right to it. Let's talk a little bit about, well, let's just start with the public you, yeah. uh, your story maybe of becoming um, a pastor, right? A lot of people yeah. don't know the story of that. And so- A little uh, odd. Yeah, it's, it's a little odd. A little odd course. Uh, it's funny, I, I was uh, 17 years old. Uh, for anybody who out, who out there who would know this name, we had Operation uh, Mobilization was headed by a, a man named George Verwer. And he came and spoke at the missions conference at our church and- 
would have been 16 or 17, and, and he had an invitation. If you felt God was calling you to, to vocational ministry, and I actually went forward, and I really believed that. I honestly believe that. I, I knew that God was calling me to that. And, and so I went to college, was studying pastoral studies, and uh, involved with youth groups and just volunteering at churches while I was in school. And then uh, right after my junior year, I went and did, a, for the summer, I did an internship at a really big church. And at the end of the summer, I was so burnt out. And just my own fears, my own securities, what, how, the way that I internalized that was, oh, I'm not cut out to do this. Hmm. I'm just not cut out. So I went back that fall and instantly just changed my major. And, you know, the one thing I felt comfortable doing was teaching. And so I changed uh, to, to an education degree and uh, took me an extra year. So two more years. And then, and then I finished in education. Never looked back. I, I didn't. I didn't fully look back, but I always thought back. And I always stayed really engaged and active in the church. And there's certainly more to that story that we'll get into here yeah. in, in just a little bit. But now, you know, pastoring this church here, you got a great uh, congregation, beautiful facility, nice, great church. But one thing I've noticed about you, and I think a lot of people have noticed about you, is honestly, you're kind of like, you're pretty awkward. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, like, has it always been that way? Like, have you always been awkward? Are you aware yeah, of that? So, so I, would, I would use a slightly different word. Maybe this is my own insecurity. I don't know if it's so much awkward as the fact I just don't, I've never felt like I really fit. Like, uh, I don't know if you were, this was a term that we used in our school. We, we talked about the shiny kids. And, and kind of when you're in elementary school, you're just in your very immediate neighborhood and everybody looks and dresses and their parents are pretty much in the same situation your parents are it's all that but then when you go to junior high it's a little more regional you know in high school even more so but we went to junior high and for the first time I, th- I saw kids with name brand stuff like we didn't even know what these I, I remember at my age I saw all these kids were wearing shirts with alligators <laughs> and I had no clue I was like are these kids all in the club they all have you know and so it was the first time we were the kids from the other side of the tracks and it was the first time I was like, well, we don't really fit with the shiny kids. We're not one of them. And for me, quite honestly, I think, uh, I think look, past, uh, churches oftentimes take on the personality of their pastors and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's true. And so for our church, um, I think we've kind of become a church where, if you're shiny, and I don't mean that in a divisive or derogatory way, but I'm just saying, if you're a shiny kid, but you just, you're just like, but this is who I am. I'm just, right, own it. that's a great fit for us. But it's for a lot of people who maybe felt like I was never a shiny kid or I was never uh, one of the cool kids or I didn't really fit in. Well, I I mean, I think you actually use it to your benefit as you're communicating on Sundays. It it definitely comes out in your speaking. It's great. It's, you know, humorous. People are laughing. You say sometimes the things that everybody else is thinking and so it just kind of gets people mostly, laughing. So. Mostly inappropriate stuff. Yeah. And, and I'm one of those shiny kids, you know what I mean? So like, right. you know, I'm having to adapt. Yeah, so you're, you know, you love talking about your wife, yeah. Kimmy, and, and you know, um, just wondering like, what does she think about this this yeah. awkwardness of Neil? So I, I actually don't think Kim sees it at all. And the, and the reason <laughs> I say that, and because love is blind, no, but because um, I actually think it's what attracted me to Kim is she's wired the same exact way. Mm. She grew up almost the exact same way. And we joke about it. We, she grew up, I mean, I grew up in Des Moines and she grew up on the east side of St. Paul. We grew up almost the exact same way. And, and uh, it's, it's absolutely what I love about her. I, 
I, I, I think I've told this story even at church, and it's, I almost get choked up when I tell it because it's, it, it's just what I, when I just knew I was in love with her. Kimmy and I had probably known each other from a distance uh, for 15 or 20 years. And then, you know, finally I had the courage to ask her out. And we're on a first date. And, you know, so you know somebody from a distance, and now it's first date. You're going to find out what they're really like. And you're trying to make a good impression. I mean, maybe this isn't going to be them, but you don't know that. In your first date, you're trying to make a good impression. And so I take her to this nice restaurant. Please tell me it was a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> it wasn't. It was Italian. Sorry. Okay. So we go to this restaurant, and, and you know, you, you, you're concerned about how you're dressed and what's my hair look like. And, and so we sit at the table, and, and uh, I think the waitress had already taken our order, and she's got these, uh, you know, we've got water glasses. And Kimmy's talking and she reaches her hand for something and just blips the glass. Like she just <laughs> tanks it, right? And water spills all over the table. And she knocked it over and just started laughing. And it was so endearing. And I knew, I, I'm like, this is somebody I can be myself. Oh, that's this my is girl. somebody, oh, I said that in a Harvey. This is my girl. Like <laughs> she totally screwed up, totally, you know, and she just laughed out loud. Like it was just funny. And I thought that, I think, so, so I think, we're both cut from the same cloth That's in that awesome. regard. Yeah, and mm -hmm. you guys both are very funny and people enjoy She's that hilarious, sure. man. You had mentioned about a crazy story, a crazy journey of becoming a pastor. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, um, but Dr. Neil Rich, I mean, right. how in the world <laughs> did that happen? Yeah, that, so that's a weird, it's a weird journey. Like this whole thing, even for me, I, st I sit back at times, I go, this is weird. Um, when I was in high school, it was right in the middle of basketball season, and I had this weird injury and I was just so frustrated, you know? And um, somebody said, hey, you should see a chiropractor. And I thought, yeah, nobody in my family's ever seen a chiropractor. And so I talked to my mom, she's like, fine. So I go to this guy and I had the most amazing like recovery, just boom, it was just like that. And I thought that's about the coolest thing I've ever experienced. And so when I was in college then and I, and I just said, hey, I had just gone back and changed my major. I had a roommate my freshman year, and his, his father was kind of one of the godfathers mm. of chiropractic here in the Twin Cities, right? And so this roommate of mine, when he left school, he went to chiropractic school, and I talked to him, and I talked to his dad, and they're like, oh, you should be a chiropractor, and I, I didn't give it much thought, but eventually then I just said, okay, I, you know, I'm out of college, and I'm going to go. And so went, graduated, set up a, a clinic, like literally – maybe a mile from here really? at the church. What was the name of your uh, It was just called Cairo Center, Bloomington. And uh, uh, Did you yeah. have, by chance, like a favorite adjustment? <laughs> Is that it? I don't even know if that's like proper, but if somebody walked into the clinic and said, I need to get my blank adjusted, were you like, oh, you're not right. my favorite, <laughs> but I'd love to get a hold of your big coconut and give it a twist. <laughs> but, I'm sure it could but, take an adjustment or two. It, it was just great for 20 years, for 20 years. And wow. the thing that was most interesting is because we just stayed so plugged in the church, we were serving in the church, using our gifts in the church. Um, you thought you'd do this until you retired? Oh, I thought I'd do the clinic until I retired. And then I had the pastor here, who was the pastor at this church, said, hey, we were talking about it one time, and you said, have you, have you thought about that? Have you ever thought there would be more? And uh, I, I always remember, I said, yeah, I, I don't know how to get there from here. And he said, you know, someday you're going to have to sell that clinic. Wow. You're going to have to join a staff. you got to get bloodied up, and you got to figure this thing out. A lot of people out. would have done that. And, it, 
he, I love the way that he just challenged me, though. I mean, oddly enough, though, like, like I, I think there are some similarities. I mean, you own a clinic, mm -hmm. which means that you are managing people, mm -hmm. which means you're ultimately deciding the direction of the clinic and kind of mm -hmm. where you want to go. And, you know, do you want to open up other sites? Do you want to stay within? And then now you're leading a church. And you kind of have like the same role. You're managing people. You're deciding, you know, the, the, the next steps of the church. Do you see some of those similarities and, and yeah. are there any differences? The similarities are, are people for sure, right? Like, like when you run a clinic, you have to oversee the overall clinic and the staff and, you, and you're concerned for the welfare of the clinic. But, but on a daily basis, what you really do is dealing with people. And the church is very much the same way, right? especially in my role now, I oversee the church and I've got to be concerned about those things in big picture. But really, the church is people. You're, you're dealing with people. And so in that regard, um, the experience was extremely helpful. I mean, I, it is interesting. You look back and you look at some of your failures and, and you just look at the way that you've interacted with people. And I said, oh, I, I could have handled that situation better. And it's no different. I mean, it's in the church. It's the same thing. You, you handle a situation, you deal with a person, and you go, okay, yeah, that's, that, that wasn't appropriate. That wasn't, you know, you're embarrassed about that, and you see some of your failures. It, it's all, you know, we say this, what's the greatest thing about the church? It's the people. Yeah, well, I what's mean, with the biggest challenge, it's the people. But like you know? with that, like, okay, so at a clinic, you're going to, I'm sure every once in a while you get somebody who's disappointed about something. Oh, yeah. And in the church world, you get emails after sure. every Sunday message, right? So like, are there differences in how you, whether received or the kind of people giving the feedback in both of those roles, are, are there differences? The difference is, that's a great question, but the difference is, and I say this all the time, um, life is not about circumstances. It's about expectations, right? And I think the reality is that I think in the church, I just expect different. I, I expect, and, and there, it's still, it's people are people. Look, I, I have my moments where people go, really, that guy's a pastor? You know, I mean, I have those moments. And so my expectations in the church, while I think, well, they should be a little higher, sometimes they're, they're unrealistic. Are you ever you know? shocked by like Christian behavior? Oh, sure. Oh, of course. But in the same way that I'm shocked with my own behavior at times, you know, but but and I would say not even necessarily there's nothing in particular at this church, but just in the culture at large, things that are done in the name of the church. Sure, of course. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, yeah, I, I want to definitely get a little bit more personal now and, and thank you for allowing us the opportunity yeah. to even kind of have that. Uh, you know, the privilege of looking into your life and talking about some things maybe you're not too proud of or things that mm -hmm. may even surface a little ongoing pain or something, but, uh, you know, leaning into the messy, that yeah. hashtag yeah. is actually something you started. That, that yeah. came from you, from your heart. And I'm just curious, like, um, you know, where that came from, like what, yeah. what, why, why lean into the messy? It, it's interesting. So there was actually a pastor on, that was on staff here. And I just talked about, you know, this, this thing that we want to deal with the, the, the messy situations of life. We want to be real about them. And he was like, yeah, like lean into the messy. And I just went, that's it. It wasn't even my original phrase. I was talking about the messy. And he said, lean into the messy. So we just adopted that, right? But I do think uh, my life as a pastor, um, my background is probably pretty messy and a little unconventional. And they're just weird things in my life that developed. And now I'm the lead pastor of a, of a thriving church. 
how does that happen? So I actually kind of embrace that. I think you said in the opening that nobody wants to admit it, but everybody's got mess. Everybody's life is messy. And uh, I think it's just healthy to own it and to, to be freed from it by admitting it and acknowledging it and saying, now, what's God going to do to use that? How, what crazy way? I look at the things in my life and how God has used those. And I say, great, fantastic. Yeah, that's great. And so, yeah, I want to kind of look into that a little bit. Thinking about your family, your, you know, your upbringing. Yeah. Give us a little glimpse into like life in the rich family. Like, yeah. You know, parents, siblings, what are they doing now? Where do they live? Where'd you grow up? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I grew up in Des Moines. That's where I grew up. And uh, uh, I, I would have thought when I was a little kid, I thought we were, you know, when you're, when you're a little kid, you don't know anything different. You just know your neighborhood. And, how, and, I, and I just thought, right? And I thought we were the all-American family. Um, I have, an, uh, the oldest is a sister. And then I think my brother's about 16 months younger. And then I'm about 11 months younger than my so brother. So you're the baby of the so family. The baby, absolutely. So there's three of us. And uh, I remember being in, it was either second or third grade. And I'm just thinking, all-American family, like, this is great. And my sister, it was, I, I specifically remember it was summer. And we were doing something, playing around the back door. And she said, hey, you do know mom and dad are getting a divorce, right? And I was just, I thought she was joking. I thought, what? Like, that just could not be real. And so my folks never talked to me about it at that time. And so I didn't know what to think about that when, when she and I finished. Yeah, I don't think and anybody so, would know. Honestly, for about the next, so I'm thinking, when? Is it tomorrow? Is it the next day? Is it next week? What's going on here? And, and, and even then, it was probably about another six years. Wow. Uh, and so you just live with that all the time. And Six it just, years of just It just created me. So I'm, anybody who knows me really well knows that I'm extremely insecure. And I think that stuff just bubbling for about six years, you're just always waiting for it. Wondering. Do you know what I mean? And so it creates that insecurity and it's all of that stuff, you know? And so like, I mean, how does that play out? Like how does the pain of a, that, you know, 15-year-old little yeah, boy, yeah. and now you're a 57-year-old man. How, yeah. how does that play out in your everyday life now? Yeah, so so I'll tell you, so a little further on that then. So it was about six years later, and I think I was about 16 or something, and I, and I, I probably knew by then. I never saw my parents fight, but I knew, I knew things weren't necessarily right, you know? And so I came home one day, and our house was pretty much empty. Like it was pretty much empty and I have just vivid memories. So I don't know if everybody else is like this, but in our garage, you know, dad's car was, mom's car was on one side. That was kind of the nicer car. Mm -hmm. And then my dad drove an older kind of, you know, that kind of car. And they always parked them on those sides. And when I walked up the driveway, my mom's car was gone and my dad's car was on the other side. And it just flagged me like something's not right. And I walked into the house and the walls are empty right? And all the little knickknacks and stuff, they're gone. And my father was in the house. And I said, Pop, where's everybody at? And he was kind of telling me about my brother and my sister. And I said, where mom's at? Where's mom at? And he says, she's gone. And I said, what do you mean she's gone? And he said, partner, she's not coming back. And so just the, the pain of that, and then you ask how it plays out, you know, relationally, it, it, those things were always, so for instance, I think in high school I had one date 
And in five years of college, I had one date. And I just remember my perspective was, well, why would anybody want to be married, you know, when there's no happiness in there? And then ultimately, they just leave you. And so, again, it's just, it's the insecurity thing. It it just, you know, it just, it it just continues to grow in you. And so, yeah, relationally, that was always a struggle for me. And just even knowing how to relate to To women. Yeah. Yeah. And so, as you look back, is there something that that moment has taught you about life? Oh, 100%. 100%. Because... Because I can't, and now this is this is perspective at 58. Like I've had some time to heal. You know, I think the healing process for me was so long because I wouldn't appropriately deal with it. And it probably wasn't, I specifically remember being taken through an exercise. I was in my early, mid, mid, mid 40s. And I actually wrote a letter to my mother to forgive her and just told her she, was, she had passed away already. But mm-hmm. I just wrote her a letter and said, hey, look, I forgive you. I know you had your stuff. I got my stuff. I got my issues, you know. But I look back now and I, and I look at my life and I look where I'm at and I look at the way I've been blessed. And I'm not saying that it was easy. I'm not saying there weren't difficulties. I'm not saying there aren't still difficulties of life. But I look and I go, wow, God is faithful. God is faithful. God, God never turned his back on me. Even, you know, those times that you're in your life, you're like, can God hear me? Does he, is he aware? I'm like, yes, God hears, God sees, God's aware, he knows. And I look at my life now and I'm like, I might be one of the most blessed people that I know. And so, yeah, there, there are hard seasons, but God is faithful. God is good. I mean, like, I, I think that's where most of us are where most people kind of go, man, this thing in my life just really sucked. I'm yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I, I believe that. And I can tell you from my life experience, God is faithful, God is good, God is true to his word, you know. Well, I mean, I'll tell you this, just listening, listening to you talk about it is inspiring because, I mean, if I'm just being 100% honest, like it's hard to see the goodness of God in that situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can sure. hear you saying it. I can even sometimes think, well, you have to say that. You're a pastor. Right. You need a great church. What else are you going to say? But the truth is, is like, it's hard to see God's goodness when, when you're in that kind of a spot. And, and just, you know, full disclosure, I'm not saying that I saw it when I was in it. And, and I, literally, I literally remember praying out loud to God. I literally remember holding my fist up to heaven, telling God how angry I was. And, and, you know, I would say really what I'm learning now as I continue to get older, I think that's a healthy response. I mean, I was told one time that you can't deal with an untruth. I remember I was seeing a counselor one time and he, and he was just talking about, well, think back to that. And how does this make you feel? And I said, well, it's just really frustrating. And he said, no. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, I, think, <laughs> I think I know how I feel. Like, who are you? And he says, no. I said, no, it is frustrating. He goes, mm, that's not the word. And then he just paused and he's like, think about it. What's the real word? And I said, well, I'm not frustrated. I guess I'm, I'm angry. And he goes, oh, you're ticked. And he said, you can't deal with an untruth. To, 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 to fail to acknowledge how you really feel is an untruth. Like, well, I'm just frustrated. That's not true. You're not just frustrated. You are angry. You are ticked. That's right. Now own that. And then you can deal with that. Do you know what I mean? So in the moment, in the moment, what I've said, wow, this is the goodness of God. Well, not a chance. 
yeah. in my life now and I see how God's used it and how he's chiseled me and how he's, okay, now I can see it. And I think that's what makes you a very compassionate pastor, mm-hmm. a pastor who always tends to go for the underdogs. Well, I will tell you this, and I think this is really interesting. If you would have known me before all that happened, right? I was a Pharisee. It was really interesting. I was a Pharisee and everything in my life was black and white. And this is right and that is wrong. And what God showed me is like, just wait a minute. And sometimes I think with people like, you don't know their story. Yeah, I true. can say that that's not okay. I can say that's wrong. But do you know their story? And and you know this, how there are people that you get to know and you're like, that dude's a kook. He's a nut. Like, what's wrong with that guy? And then you find out a little about their story and you look at them and you go, oh, actually that dude's doing pretty well. Yeah, I mean, the truth <laughs> is we are who we are because of what we've gone through, right? Yeah. And that's true for, for everybody. Sure. For sure. And I'm sure that there's people listening who are feeling like I am right now. Like, it's hard to hear you talk about that because the reality is there's a lot of 15-year-olds out there even yeah, right yeah. now who are going through that very thing. Like, it's a wonder. You you wonder how many people are sitting in church every week who are just so broken and oh. so hurting and the youth group has kids that are just facing challenges that are just unbelievable, right? Oh, Not for to mention sure. the pain of just people in the community. And I, and, I, and I can look at my situation and I can sit in my own pity party for a while, but the reality is you have to look at your situation and go, there's worse, there's worse. You, you know what I mean? Somebody else has got it worse, oh, 100%. So, so let's just say there's people listening yeah. and they are dealing with their own pains and their own hurts, um, but they're having a really hard time climbing out of the hole mm-hmm. that they are in. Yeah. How, what are some steps? Like, what would you say to yeah. them? The first thing is there has to be a realization that you're not going to do this alone. You know, and I would just say I was somebody who from about the age of 16 uh, and, and obviously in decreasing segments, but until the time I was in my mid, mid-40s almost, was just bitter, it, just still holding on to some of that bitterness. And, and it's destructive. It's destructive in our lives. And then I started really seeing somebody and talking to somebody about it and, and dealing with those real issues. And that's when God heals, you know, but this idea that, you know, I'm just going to, like, we, we always say this, time heals all wounds. And actually, that's not true. Sometimes time just makes you more bitter. You know, what heals a wound, and I was just talking to somebody about this, where James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. And even in that regard, we, th- we think we can just confess our sins to God. Well, you can be forgiven, but real healing comes when we confess our sins to one another, to one another, then you can be healed. And I know we're not directly talking about a sin here, but we're still talking about confessing to one another. Hey, here's what I'm feeling. I'm feeling anger. And I, I got to be honest, man. I feel like God just shut the door on me. I feel like God turned his back on me. I'm angry with God, right? Those things, when we say them to another, I think the first thing folks have to realize is we're, we're designed for relationships. We're designed for community. And even if that's just me coming over to your house and you saying, hey, Neil, tell me how you're doing. I'm like, I'm struggling and I'm really upset about this. Like that's when we, and so I'd say for those people who are out there, if you're, if you're listening, right. And you, you just know you're struggling and you're angry, know this, you can't do it alone. And you've got to find somebody, whether that's somebody here at our church, 
whether that's a pastor here at our church, whether that's our prayer mentoring program, which is so effective. Sometimes folks just need a tune-up and you go and see a prayer mentor and they walk you through some things, right? Whether it's you're not in the Twin Cities or you're not at this church or whether you find a close friend or a close neighbor, I'm just saying you cannot do this alone. And for healing to happen, you, you, that's in relationship. Yeah, that's great and very helpful. And mm-hmm. so for those listening, we do hope that you would, you know, at least accept the challenge to verbalize what you're saying, verbalize the pain that you have. 100%. Because there's a healing process that comes from just talking about it. Own it, admit it, confess it to someone else, right? Really, really do some work on that for sure. Yeah, that's great. So just to wrap up, one question for you mm-hmm. uh, that we all want to know, uh, at least I'm very interested in knowing, is that is how can people who are listening to this podcast pray for you? Oh, wow. I love that. So I appreciate that. Uh, I think I pray for wisdom probably more than anything. And wisdom, not just in like, hey, make a smart decision, but wisdom in that as I hear from God, that I am listening to God, that I'm discerning, that I'm hearing what God says, you know, allowing for his spirit to lead. So I think more than anything, that's that's my prayer. I really want to hear from God and discern that and, and just follow that. You know, I think our tendency sometimes is to have a great idea. And then we just go that direction. And we say, hey, God, bless this as opposed to saying, hey, God, what are you doing? What do you want? And then we get on board with what God's doing. So just that I would hear that. Well, there you had everybody. Uh, There's one way you can pray for Pastor Neil. And uh, Pastor Neil, thank you so much for your time this uh, today. We really appreciate having you. And again, thanks for opening up your life to us. Uh, I know um, probably not real easy to do, but we really appreciate it. And there you have it. Those of you listening from wherever you are, thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. We look forward to uh, the next one. Everybody have a great day.